Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. We are starting a new series here for the month of April entitled Secrets in the Sanctuary. Uh, anybody need a outline? You need an outline? Anybody? Everybody got an outline? All right. Uh, forget a, Brother Dylan, if you'll help pass some of those out, please. Be sure to grab you an outline for, for our study today. Amen. Secrets in the sanctuary. We're going to be studying through the tabernacle, and um, I will say this, uh, to... To do it in in the um, a lot of time for this month, we're going to be hitting highlights. There's so much there that uh, we need to get deep into, but uh, we're going to be hitting highlights. And so, uh, let's get to the word of the Lord here today. Praise God. In the Lord, good. Said in the Lord, good. Hallelujah. All right, get your Bibles. We're going to the Book of Exodus, chapter 25. For this lesson today, this is where we're going to be um, beginning, Exodus chapter 25 and uh, verse number 8, and then we will jump down to verse 22, Exodus 25, 8, 25, 22. Again, our series topic is Secrets in the Sanctuary, but today our lesson is on this, for the sake of the sanctuary. For the sake of the sanctuary. Amen. We find that verse 8 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Jumping down to verse 22 of Exodus 25. And there I will meet with them and commune with them, commune with thee, from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Amen. Praise the Lord. I love the Lord, don't you? Amen. Lord, bless you can be seated. For the sake of the sanctuary. Why is it so important that we study Old Testament? Because a lot of times when you begin to study Old Testament, you get into uh, things that seems to be a little confusing. It's sometimes a challenge to distinguish between uh, ceremonial law, civil law, moral law. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to uh, just get a grips get a grip when you begin to think about the sacrifices and the festivals and the and the different uh, uh, ceremonies that they have in the Old Testament. But the incredible thing is that God used the Old Testament to give us a pattern, a way, a, a, a testimony, if you please, of how he's going to move in the New Testament. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, verse 11. Now all these things, speaking of the Old Testament, now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, 
happened to them for examples, and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world come. If you look at what Hebrew says, uh, adding a scripture with this to your lesson there, Hebrews 8 and 5 says, uh, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see he saith that thou make all things according to the pattern. The word example and the word pattern are exactly the same. We find that the Bible illustrates primarily a lot of things in the Old Testament are made in the form of a type. A type in the Bible refers to a person, event, or a thing, or a ceremony used by God to point or illustrate to a present or future reality. A type is not a doctrine. So when we begin to study the tabernacle, it's not like we're, we're going to be just studying doctrine, but what it will do is that it can point to doctrine. It begins to reveal doctrine. It begins to reveal the word of the Lord. It will show us uh, uh, redemption. It will show us uh, the Christian. It will show us uh, a Christ and how he operates. It's such beautiful pictures. Let me give you an example of a type. How many remember the story of the brass serpent that the Lord told Moses to raise up and anybody that looked at it would be saved from a snake bite? Anybody remember that story? It's there. Just, just trust me. Well, what that is is a type of Jesus Christ. Uh, matter of fact, if you want to look it up, it's in Numbers 21 if you want to study this story of the snake being lifted up. Uh, but it is a type of Christ being lifted up when he was lifted up on the cross to bring redemption to all those that have been snake bit by the enemy of their soul. So that's a type. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, Jonah 1. And you will find that it was a type because Christ says, as Jonah was in the belly three days and three nights, I am going to be the, the Son of Man. Christ is going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's a fulfillment of that type. It, it just magnifies. So in the Old Testament, when we begin to study the tabernacle, when we study examples, types, and shadows of the Old Testament, they help us understand how God is working in the New Testament and even in our lives today. We find the Bible says that the tabernacle was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We find that the Bible teaches us that the church is the tabernacle. The Bible also teaches us that you are the tabernacle of God. You're the temple of the Lord. And so when we begin to study the tabernacle, you begin to find unique ways that God is speaking to us, and, and it's so beautiful when you begin to see how the Lord put everything together from the, the types of the numbers, the types of the material, and everything that as we studied from there. Repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, you will find the, an interesting phrase mentioned about the tabernacle. There are several different names referred to the tabernacle, but one of them is the tabernacle of the congregation. Say that with me, the tabernacle of the congregation. When we look at these words, you will find that tabernacle means a tent, a dwelling place, or a home. A tent, a dwelling place, or a home. Congregation means a fixed time or season of a meeting place. So the Lord wants us to understand in the tabernacle that 
when we have a relationship with him, that there is a place where he dwells. And there is a fixed time that he's going to meet us there. Our, our uh, beginning scripture says that he said, I'll meet with you and I will commune with you above the mercy seat between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony. So the Lord said, I'm going to meet with you there. Well, in that reality, uh, in that day he met with them in a pillar of cloud by fire, a pillar uh, 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 of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. We find him meeting them. Now he wants to reside in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are the tabernacle of God. So it is the intent of God to tabernacle among us. Tabernacle among us. He wants to make his home in your life. Not just part-time. Not kissing him on Sunday. Holding hands with the world on Monday. It is a dwelling place that he wants to tabernacle with us. Well, to understand this, the purpose of the sanctuary, you got to also understand the, the relationship as we had with God that it was ruined and then rescued. We understand that sin severs relationship with the Lord. Point number two, relationship ruined and rescue. Sin severs your relationship with the Lord. So what is sin? Somebody tell me what sin is. Bible scholars. Huh? Rebellion? Anything contrary to God? Hmm? Unbelief? Disobedience? All great things. All signs of sin in our life. We say sin is lying, right? I mean, no, it's, 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 it's a sin to lie. Okay, well, sin's cheating, stealing, cussing, carousing, adultery, fornication, gossiping, murdering, drugs, and gambling, and witchcraft, and we can go on and on and on. Uh, and, and, and have you ever heard anybody say, I just fell into sin? Anybody ever beside me ever heard that? Like I was just walking down the road one day and, oops. I fell into lying. I fell into gossip. Just was talking and there it went. How does, how does one how does one just fall into jealousy, strife or unforgiveness? Adam and Eve didn't just fall into their error, their disobedience. They committed it willfully, maybe deceptive on Eve's part, but willfully. When Adam and Eve sinned, they fell from God. Now, you don't necessarily fall into sin, but sin will cause one to be separated in a relationship sense from the Lord. Let's look a little bit further into this concept of relationship ruin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Say that with me. 
Sin is the transgression of the law. So at its core, sin is really lawlessness. Lawlessness. And lawlessness is simply a condition of being without law. It is indeed the refusal to obey, to submit, to follow the word of God, the command of God. Adam and Eve had the command, don't eat that tree, the fruit of that tree. And when they decided to make their own law, they became lawless. Okay? So lawlessness is rebellion, and rebellion leads to ruin and relationships severed. At the heart of sin is a lack of true connectivity with God, true intimacy with God. Sin severs that, missing the point, missing the goal, missing the aim. That's not doing what we ought to do. Sin severs that. So, so we're here, and God's there because of sin. Let's, 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 let's talk about just for a minute, a little bit further about this relationship need for intimacy with the Lord. Look at Hebrews, or rather, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. In thy name done many mighty works, wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, listen to this, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Don't judge a person's integrity by their popularity, by their gift, by how successful they seem to be. Judge them by their relationship with the Lord. So a relationship is more than just simply a, a, a pronouncement. Well, I'm in a relationship with the Lord, like putting something on Facebook. Click it. you in a relationship with Jesus? Maybe we need one of those now on, you know, click. You're in a relationship with Jesus. It's more than a pronouncement. It's an action. It's an action for the the Bible teaches us not everyone that is going to, to, to enter into, or, or saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's obedience. The opposite of obedience is lawlessness. Here's the thing I think our, our culture is really having a hard time dealing with today, and that is if, if you ever notice why they wanted to get rid of the Word of God and try to downgrade the Word of God and, and try to uh, bring the Word of God on their level, politicians actually saying we've got to dumb down the Old Testament. We've got to bring it down. Well, the reason for that is because this is the standard. This is the standard by which the Lord has set. And he said, my word is going to last. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will abide forever. That's what he said. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. 
when you study the word of the Lord and you study the law of the Lord, you begin to find out that, that if I'll obey the law of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, they're not grievous. They are not grievous. And I'm not talking about Old Testament, Mosaical law. I'm talking about the word of God in its totality as it relates to every human being on the earth today. If I will obey this, then I can expect to hear him say, I know you. I know you. You're in a relationship with me. One thing we realize in this text is that gifts and anointings do not equal relationship. There are people that can do incredible things even for God that are not in relationship with the Lord. But intimacy is what equals relationship. He says, I will say to you, I never knew you. I never knew you. The word here literally speaks of, it's from a Jewish idiom referring to sexual intimacy. So the Lord is saying, I want you to be intimate with me on a spiritual relationship plane. I want you to be familiar with me. I want you to know me. I want you to learn of me. I want you to get connected to me. I want you to understand who I am. I want you to acknowledge I want you to acknowledge me. Amen. God wants to know you. That's what the whole study of the tabernacle is about. That is why we ought to build a sanctuary is because God wants to know us. So we have a relationship where we somewhere in our life we've got to go from a relationship ruined with God to a relationship restored with God. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering may being made conformable unto his death. Amen. Lack of intimacy with the Lord will kill a relationship with God. Separation occurs when that real intimacy is ruined. But I want to tell you today, God wants you to get connected with his glory and with his relationship. That's his plan. His plan, his design, amen, is about you getting connected to his glory. He wants that for you. He wants that for me. Amen. We are his creation, made in his image, made in his likeness. And so God is always reaching for man. Even when man is separated from him by sin, it is God reaching for man. It, it, even when humanity has not even got a clue about God, it is God reaching for Can I tell you, the Lord reached for you when you weren't reaching for him. And, it, and there is a dimension of his glorious presence that he wants to bring us into. Where, Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 that we're going to be changed into his image from glory to glory. Hallelujah. By relationship. Of our, can, can I just stop here and tell you, we don't know it all yet. I haven't arrived yet. You haven't arrived yet. But we are in a journey with the Lord where we are changed into his image and into his likeness from glory to glory. This is a true anthem of God from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to eternity. God wants to have a relationship with you. We'll find that even since this fall of Adam God accepted Abel's worship by faith. He accepted Enoch's 
walk with him by faith. Noah caught the eye of God's grace by faith. God's divine purpose caused a man out of Ur the Chaldees to leave homeland and family and pursue God. Why? Because the Lord had an agenda. The Lord had, somebody say God has an agenda. And it's the sanctuary. It's a place of communion. It is a place of connectivity. It's that place where I get to know him. Amen. I, I, I believe today we've got to realize that God has a plan. It is from Genesis to Revelation, God has a plan. And the ultimate plan is seen in Revelation where he redeems, where he restores. Look, to understand the purpose of the tabernacle, we need a little history lesson. Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 1. Okay. You will find that God is about to make a covenant with Abraham. But interesting enough is that Abraham first paid tithes before he got a covenant. Can I sidebar here just for a minute? When you begin to see somebody telling you that tithes is not a New Testament principle because it is under the law, they are showing they have never read Genesis because anything that predates the law is a relationship issue, not a law issue. It's a relationship issue. Before there ever was a Mosaic law, there was a relationship issue, and God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a covenant because you have got my covenant of tithe. Tithe just mark us down. Side note over here on outside of your lines. Tithing is not about the law. It's about covenant. Let me, let me say it again. Tithing is not about law. It is about covenant. If anybody says, well, the New Testament church, they never uh, uh, paid tithes. They never, well, the Bible speaks about Abraham paid tithes to the Lord through Le e uh, Levi. Through Levi. Amen. <laughs> How do you do that? By paying tithes. I know that's deep. I realize. Okay, now let's get back over on the lines on your notes. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. And after these things, after what? After communion and tithe actually are going together when he met Melchizedek, and we'll get to that some other day. But the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and exceeding great reward. Jump down to verse 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. Then underline this next line. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. God warned Abraham that his promised seed would spend 400 years in bondage in a strange land. 
but that afterward there was going to be something unique and powerful to happen. When you come out of Egypt, here's something to to mark down. When you come out of Egypt's bondage, you can rest assured there will be an afterward blessing waiting for you. Why? There's no sanctuaries built in Egypt. Say that with me. There's no sanctuaries built in Egypt. So you know the story. All of the Israel went down into Egypt, followed Joseph. Joseph was made by God, prepared a way to the saving of his family. And so now we find that uh, they were going to sojourn in the land for a while. And later on, after four generations about, God promised Abraham that they would come out. So from Jacob to Levi, Levi to Kohath, Kohath to Amram, and from Amram to Moses, we find that continuation of the people of God in Egypt. But no sanctuary, even though they were blessed in Goshen, even though they had such a blessing by God's power and design, they did not have a place of sanctuary, a hallowed place where the Lord said, I'll meet you there. What they had was slavery. It went from being favored by Pharaoh to being a slave by Pharaoh because there was one that grew up that did not know Joseph. And so their day of blessing became a day of desperation. And one day somebody had to cry unto the Lord. And Exodus 2 and 23 says, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. What is God responding to when he shows up? Many would say he's responding to his cry, to their cry. Could he respond until he had come to 400 years? He could have, but he wouldn't. Why? His word said it. You know, if somebody would just get this just one little time, one little time right now, I'd have to catch you from shouting off the ceiling right now. God is bound by his word so much that if they cried, he's still waiting for time to fulfill the time. But when their time coincided with their cry, God said, oh, Moses, it's time. It's time. So the reluctant deliverer became the one that that brought them out of Egypt. What did it, how, how did he bring them out of Egypt? I'm just hitting the highlights here. But it took a Passover to get them out of Egypt. Everybody say it took a Passover. The last plague of the Egyptians was the first step of Israel being free. While the firstborn of Egypt died, the firstborn of the blood covered those that were going to become worshiping priests those that were going to leave Egypt. So we find, let me, let me just show you some types in the Passover. Christ is our Passover. The shed blood of the Passover lamb demonstrates how heaven's spotless lamb, 1 Peter 1 and 19, shed his blood for the sins of the whole human race. The only way Israel could get out of Egypt was that they were to partake of the lamb and then they were to pass through the blood. 
The blood was to cover their life, their doorpost, their going and coming. Our salvation, our deliverance comes by the blood of the redeeming lamb, amen, and by the ingesting or the taking in of Christ. He said, eat me. Amen. Eat me. How do we eat him? By receiving his word into our heart. By digesting his word. Amen. So even as Christ is our Passover, Paul said, he is sanctified for us. So to get out of Egypt, you've got to have a Passover lamb. His name is Christ. You will find that in Israel's history, their life, literally their calendar began with Passover. Life began at Passover. In the New Testament believer, life begins at the blood. (laughs) So the month Israel exited Egypt became the first month of their year. Passover begins a new year, Exodus 12 and 2. The life of Israel as a nation began when they escaped out of bondage and went through the blood. The new convert starts to live the day he exits servitude of sin by the blood through Christ. Christ, can I just tell you, Christ will change your calendar. Christ will change your thinking. Christ will change your way of talking, your way of living. Amen. But if you go through his blood, through the blood of Jesus Christ, amen, what do we do? By faith. By faith, I believe the blood covers me. By faith, I believe I'm healed by the blood of the Lamb. By faith, I believe that what he did at Calvary is going to help me get out of Egypt. I'm not just going to be one foot in Egypt and one foot in the promised land, but I'm coming out. Coming out means obedience. So we find that there was a a type of Christ, our Passover, the changing of their calendar. A third thing is we find that faith is proven here by obedience. Keep in mind, there had been no open revelation since Joseph. The last thing they'd heard from anybody until Moses was, I'm dying, bring my bones with you. That's what Joseph said, okay? Joseph said, God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land. Israel was a stranger to divine revelation at this time. For hundreds of years, their hope hinged upon the promise to Abraham and the spoken word of Joseph. Sure, They may have tried to escape at times. Even Moses tried to take matters into his own hand. But we find that they had to do it by faith. They had to walk out that door covered by the blood by faith. They had to believe that God was going to take them by faith to the promised land. So beautiful types and shadows in the Passover. There's a beautiful type in where the blood was applied. It was not applied on the... the, the floor, the th- threshold of the floor, but on the doors, not to be trampled, but close to your heart, as it were. We find that no bone was broken in the lamb. Jesus Christ, there was no bone broken uh, of his on Calvary. The lamb was to be eaten. That means that we all must have all of Christ. All the leaven had to be put out of their houses. That means all of sin gets out of our life. They had to dress ready. That Bible says we need to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Amen. I want to tell you that's an exciting thing because they're headed to sanctuary. Yeah. 
Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go and we will take a three days journey. He said to Moses, we will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he had commanded us. Three days journey. Write this down. Death, burial, and resurrection. Types in the three days journey is that if you're going to get to where you got to go with the Lord, it's going to require a three days journey, death, burial, and resurrection. Years ago, uh, my dad was invited to a, a home to teach uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost to uh, some people that were living in a denominal, um, they had been raised in a denominal church, and they had concept of faith, but they had never heard uh, anyone teach on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So they came ready with their books, their Bibles opened up to Acts, ready to hear the baptism of the Holy Ghost. My dad took them to hear, to the Passover, to the Passover. Everything that was made in the tabernacle came through three days' journey. All the substance that they brought out of Egypt, all the blessings. Can you imagine this scene somewhere around? Let's, let's just do a figure. Uh, uh, I, know, I know that some people say upwards to three million. Some people say one million. So let's go two. Two million Jews headed out and all the Egyptians lining up with gold, silver, pearls, and all kinds of things and giving them an offering as they're leaving. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever had a guest that was at your house so long and so 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 much you wanted them to leave? You're standing there with your $100 bills going, you got to go. But you remember the promise of the Lord? It was they're going to, afterward, they're going to come out with great substance. Loaded, rich, blessed. But all that blessing had to go through the three days journey. And so as they head out, the Lord then tells Moses, I want you to build me a sanctuary. Somebody say, build me a sanctuary. God said, I want you to build a place that is hallowed, sacred, holy. I want you to build it to me. Build it for me. God created the world as a wonderful and beautiful place. But he said to mankind, when it comes to relationship, I made the world. You make a place for relationship." Say that again. God made the world. We make a place for relationship. In our own life, we make a place for relationship. He created us, but we've got to provide the relationship. Oh, I want God to come down and slap me, and I want the Lord to come knock me over in the Holy Ghost, and I want the Lord to... Not until you build a relationship. That's why you have to have a sanctuary, a place for him to come and dwell. So... There were some elements needed to build a sanctuary. Number one, they needed a free will offering. All that blessings they received from Egypt, God said, now you can give to me. Look at Exodus chapter 25 and verse number 1. Exodus 25 and 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take of that offering. 
And he begins to talk about silver and gold and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skin, dyed red, badger skin, shatim wood and oil and onyx stones and spices and all these different things. And verse 8 says, and then let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell. The building of the sanctuary required a sacrificial offering. These people were slaves, get this, who just won the lotto jackpot. They had just received reparations or remunerations for all they had suffered for 400 years. What is a lot of ex-slaves going to do with money? We're going on a shopping spree. Going to get me a new cow. It's going to be a Cadillac cow. Its horn's going to be polished. What does God say? Uh, Wait a second. Before you start going into your cow business, you need a sanctuary first. I, I want you to build a sanctuary first. So the Lord is saying, I brought you out of Egypt with blessings. Now, with this newfound wealth, don't hoard it. Make sure that you give it. Every major revival that has ever happened in history, if you begin to search it, every major revival has a sacrificial offering somewhere close by. Somewhere close by. Israel's sacrificial offering would help to usher in a holy tabernacle of the congregation, a sanctuary. There is, if you're taking notes, write this down. There is a connection between relationship and giving. Say it again. There is a connection between relationship and giving. Those who walk close to the Lord have learned the blessing of that. Amen. I will tell you, I have never found a thankful person who was a stingy person. I've never found a complainer who was a giver. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So, if you're going to build God a sanctuary, it requires sacrificial giving. Now, let's step over into the New Testament understanding of that. The Bible speaks about that we are in Romans 12 and 1 to present ourselves, present our bodies a... Sacrifice, holy, acceptable to the Lord, which is our reasonable service. So we come to the Lord now, not necessarily talking about a building. Thank God for a building where we can gather and we can grow and we can learn and then we can disperse and we can go into our world. Uh, Thank God for that. But we are about giving to this sacrifice of our bodies, presenting our bodies a living You know what, I guarantee you there was some folks, some stranger, some straggler out there that looked at one of those ex-slaves and said, what in the world are you doing? That's your money. you got a right. You should do what you want to do with that. Why are you living like that? Why are you not going here or why are you going there? Why why don't you cuss anymore? Why don't you smoke weed anymore? Man, you're free. Yes, I am. But I want to tell you, I've decided that sanctuary is worth the sacrifice. 
Whatever you invest in your relationship with God is worth it. All right. Another thing that they had to build with, they had to have an offering. The other thing, they had to have a good attitude. Had to have a right attitude. Had to have a right attitude. Had to have a right attitude. Exodus 25, 21. And they come, everyone whose heart stirred up in him, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. Verse 22. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted. There's probably some old hard head sticking over in his tent somewhere, hoarding up his, his, his Egypt bounty. But there was a lot of people that came with a willing heart. What does that mean? It was an attitude. The Bible says they come with a stirred, their heart was stirred up within them. And they had a willing spirit. Okay, now I'm going to get off the lines and sidebar again. Okay, this is, this is for notes outside the line. I think it is dangerous to only give out of emotion. I wish I, wish I had somebody shout on that. It's dangerous just to give out of emotion. But you've got to weld emotion, a heart stirred up, with a spirit that's willing. Hmm. Hallelujah. That means passion and wisdom go together when it comes to giving. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I believe, though, you ought to be passionate about your, your building a sanctuary, a relationship with God. Uh, there ought to be an extreme, compelling emotion, an intense emotional drive that says, I want, to be, I, I, I want to be about the sanctuary. I want to be about that relationship with God. Nothing's going to stand in my way. Jesus was said of Jesus that the zeal of his house had eaten him up. That was at his first public encounter in the temple. Amen. They said of him, his, the zeal for his house has eaten him up. Amen. Praise God. Some people make their sanctuary experience like the old Duncan man making donuts. All you older ones know what I'm talking about. Gotta go make the donuts. I gotta go to church again. Here we go, back to church again. Got to go back to church again. Got to go back. I'm going to go back to church again. Do you go to Walmart again? Do you go to the doctor again? Uh, do you go to the table again? <laughs> Brother Gene's over there helping me preach right now. There ought to be something inside of us that says, I'm passionate about, my, about, about making my relationship with the Lord. And part of that relationship is local church in, in interaction. It's, it's about being with the local church. It's about having a passion for that. And then also it's about having a purpose, a willing spirit. The sanctuary was built by people who had a deep sense of a spiritual intention. Not just passion, but a purpose. Look at Psalm 40 and 8. Look at Psalm 40 and 8. Put that one up. Praise God. Da, 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 da. Oh, thank you. Praise God. Psalm 48. I delight to do thy will. Somebody said purpose. I delight to do thy purpose, 
Oh, my God, yea, the law is within my heart. Somebody say passion. If you're going to have a sanctuary, these two ingredients are very important. All right? Another thing about making the sanctuary was they had to build it according to divine pattern. God instructed Moses to climb to Mount Sadia and to enter the cloud of glory. During that heavenly encounter, Moses received a holy tour through the tabernacle of heaven. Can you imagine what that looked like? A holy tour throughout the tabernacle of heaven. And when he was through, here's what the Lord said to him in Exodus 25 and 9. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle. Everything I showed you, I want you to do it after the pattern. And the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. And verse 40 says, And Luke, that thou make it, make them after their pattern. Moses, you are to build a sanctuary that models after heaven's tabernacle. I'm going to show you on the mount. You're to make it for the people. The candlestick was built according to Numbers 8 and 4, according to the pattern. We find that Moses said that he should make it according to the fashion Amen, that God said. God does not ask us how to build the tabernacle. He just simply requires us to build the tabernacle. We don't get to choose the furniture. We don't get to choose how big it is. We just have to make it after the pattern. That's why we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, whatever you got going on in heaven is what I want to know. Whatever is happening in heaven is what I want to know. Make me a sanctuary. Make a place of relationship, but make it according to the pattern. You need an offering. You need to have the right attitude. You need to make it according to the pattern. And you need the right people. Somebody say the right people. God commissioned Moses to appoint two men to oversee the construction of the tabernacle. Number one was Beziel. B-E-Z-A-L. E-E-L, Beziel. That's in Exodus 31, 1 through 5. Beziel has an interesting meaning to his name. Under authority. Under authority. We have a fine, let's, 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 let's read that scripture. Exodus 31, now verse 2. Exodus 31 and 2. See, I've called by name Beziel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold, in silver, and brass. Do you know how really incredible these craftsmen were? They had to beat gold so fine that they would cut it like thread. without a laser, without all the precision and equipment today. And so God says, if you're going to build a sanctuary, you need to be under authority, under my wisdom, under my anointing. Amen. So we find that relationship requires submission. Sanctuary requires submission. Every relationship is built under the shadow of God's authority. Also, uh, add another scripture to your notes here. Exodus 35 and 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Beziel, the son of Ur, and the son of Ur, uh, the son of Uriah, and the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. 
and he hath filled him with the Spirit of God and all wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship. So here is a guy that's loaded up. The second one is Aholab. Aholab is found in Exodus 31 and 6. And the Lord said, uh, Behold, I have given with him Aholab, the son of Amishiach, the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they might make all that I have commanded thee. Look at that line, that they may make all that I've commanded thee. I've got the people ready to build what I've shown you. Lord, if we had a bigger church, Lord, if I had more money, Lord, if I had more uh, uh, skill, Lord, if I had this and I had, you know what the Lord is telling us today in this particular typology is simply saying, whatever you need to build a relationship with God is at your disposal. It's at your, it's at your hand. It's right there. God's going to give it to you. The question is, will you take it and run with it? Thank you, Lord. We find that this guy was an engraver and cunning workman in embroidery in blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. His name means my father's house. My father's house. This guy is a type of discernment. If the first one is a type of, of, of submission to authority, this one is a type of discernment. If you're going to build a tabernacle, you need submission to authority, but also a commitment to discernment. To what you've surrendered to. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. What is he saying? Submit and then discern. Say that with me. Submit, then discern. All right. Let's go to our, our last point tonight. Point number six, for the sake of the sanctuary, we're going to wrap it up. Why, why, why a sanctuary? Number one, you can't, you can't have a sanctuary in Egypt. You've got to get out of Egypt. You will not build a relationship with God and hang on to the world at the same time. Okay. You can't just simply say, well, I want God over here, but I want, I, want, I want the world over here. I'm talking about a system of thinking. I'm talking about a system of acting. I'm talking about a culture. Amen. You have to decide I'm coming out of Egypt because it's after Egypt that you begin to build a sanctuary. When you look at the, those that came out of Egypt, there's some interesting things to note. They all came through the blood. That was Passover. They all came through the blood. Passover. They all came through the water, Red Sea. Right? That's, that's echoed in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how they all, that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So they all came out of Egypt. They all went through the blood. They all went through the water. On the other side of the water, they came to the law. Did they not? Here's the incredible thing. Fifty days from the day of Passover... They're on the top of Mount Sinai as God has given the law. 
This is the beautiful picture of redemption. Death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, hung on Calvary, bled and died for our sins, forgiveness of our sins, was buried in the tomb. 50 days from Calvary is not the law, but Pentecost. And so the Lord said, these are the things you need to build me a sanctuary. The blood, the water, and the spirit. We'll say it again. The blood, the water, and the spirit. The Lord wanted them to build a sanctuary, but they had to come through the process of headed to redemption, headed to a a relationship with God, amen, and then God gave them a plan, and they were to provide the building, they were to provide everything, having a right attitude of passion and purpose, amen, doing it with submission and, and discernment. If you want a relationship with God and you want to find out the secrets in the sanctuary, it's going to take building that relationship every day, every day. You don't graduate off of this. Amen. I don't care how long you've been in the the, the church. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Amen. It must be that you're constantly renewing your relationship with God through tabernacle, through sanctuary. Stand with me, please. There are so many beautiful things interwoven into the study of the tabernacle from the outer tent and all of its pillars, its base, its capstone, so many beautiful things to the entrance in. Can I just tell you, God had the rainbow long before whatever group has it now. You will find the colors of the rainbow beautifully woven throughout parts of the tabernacle in this blue, purple, scarlet, and uh, so many beautiful things, gold. Wow. It's amazing and beautiful. But if you were standing on top of a mountain and you looked over into the tabernacle area where the children of Israel in the wilderness would encamp, and you looked from a high perch, you'd see all around that, that encampment of two million people living in black tents. And in the center of it is the white fence standing out prominently. But you could not see from that vantage point what was inside the tent. If you looked at the tent and got closer to the outside and you begin to look at the tent and you walk closer, you can see the fence. The fence is, you know, it's... it's it's beyond your height. You couldn't look over it, but you, you would see beyond the, 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 the white linen fence, and all you would see was something that was drab called badger skin that covered the tent proper. And if you looked at it from the outside, it wouldn't look too exciting. It wouldn't look too, unple- too pleasing. But if you went around that to got to the front where there's only one entrance into the tabernacle courts, only one, 
not two, not three. You don't crawl under, you don't climb over. You've got one entrance to go into. Hallelujah. And we'll pick up next week with what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. That means there's no other. So if you're going to come to God, you're going to see what God has. You've got to look closely as you get closer towards that tent. Then all of a sudden you begin to see the glistening of gold and you begin to see the glistening of the angelic beings embroidered upon the tabernacle. Beautiful. Amen. But that's because you got relationship building. Okay. One other thing. Then I'm going to let you go. When God gave Moses the tabernacle plan, he started with the Ark of the Covenant. He started with himself and then gave the plan outward. When you and I go to God, we start outside and go inward. As we begin to get closer to God and closer to the Holy of Holies and closer to him, we got to go through the, the process of understanding a relationship. Build God a sanctuary. Amen. The Lord will next week will hit the way, the entrance into the court, and see what God has for us in the secrets of the sanctuary. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Sanctuary.